This is Unheard Cuts on Being. I'm Krista Tippett. You're listening to my unedited conversation with Mohammed Darausha. He is co-executive director of the Abraham Fund Initiatives in Israel. I spoke with him on March 17, 2011, at his office outside Jerusalem. This interview is included in our show, Children of Both Identities. Download the MP3 of the produced show at onbeing.org. So, uh, tell me, I'm saying Mohammed Darausha. Very Darausha. good. Okay, good. You got good advice, whoever. Yeah, I did, and then I practiced. So, let's not say anything profound yet. Uh, okay. Do you need we're a sound check? You need a sound check? Yeah, we need a sound check. Hey, we arranged good weather for you. You did. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. When did you get in? <sighs> we arrived uh, a week ago today ah. in the so, evening. So right? did you get the tail of the rain? or? Uh, we did, yeah. We had a couple of days of rain and cold, which makes us appreciate this even more. <laughs> uh, that, that those two days made us very happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. We are. In, it, it's a it's a drought year. Yes. Uh, for us. Yes. No. It was really two or three days of. But today rain. it's beach day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry to keep you in and not uh, not out. We'll go out afterwards. <laughs> yeah. We're actually flying tonight. We fly from Tel Aviv at 11, uh, 10 o'clock tonight. Yeah, that's. Oh. I, I got that in the mail, and that's yeah. why. Yeah. Somehow we changed my schedule completely. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you need more of a sound check, Chris? Do you need? Uh, I think I'm. I'm in good shape. Think we're okay. All right. Where, where are you based in, in the states? We are. We're ba- We produce out of Minnesota. Um, but our program is national. It's, it's a public radio program. So we're around 250 cities. Okay. No, um, no NPR. Yeah, yeah, it's NPR. I mean, it's, it's, we are a different distributor, but yes. we're on NPR stations. So. I was in Minnesota twice. What were you doing there? A, I think, what's his name? The uh, New York Times. Uh, oh, Thomas Friedman? Tom Friedman yeah. is mm-hmm. from there. Mm-hmm. And he asked me to go speak at his uh, mother's synagogue. Really? And I spoke at their uh, Friday night uh, mm-hmm. uh, service mm-hmm. at the synagogue. Uh, oh. I was hosted by the local rabbi for dinner in his home. Mm-hmm. And it was an interesting uh, yeah. visit. That's an interesting Jewish community kind of in the middle of America, St. Yeah. Louis Park. Yes. A lot of really interesting Jewish, American Jewish thinkers have come out of St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Uh, true. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's, uh, I remember a huge uh, synagogue, mm-hmm. and I think I had 600 people in the synagogue, and mm-hmm. uh, to be part of a religious service great. <laughs> was uh, very yeah. challenging. It yeah. was very interesting. Yeah. So um, as we begin, I'd, I'd just like to hear a little bit about your, your story. It's very you know, intriguing to hear that you're from a family um, that's been rooted in a village near Nazareth for 27 generations. Is that right? And my kids are the 28th yeah. generation now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, we're one of the oldest families uh, that lived, inhabited uh, this community, and that can track its uh, its uh, uh, history in the place. 
It, it means uh, a lot of social commitments to almost 6,500 mm. uh, family members in the same village, which oh, constitutes. Iksal is that yes, village, right? Yes, mm-hmm. it's called Iksal. Mm-hmm. Uh, 6,500 uh, family members out of the 13,000 <laughs> residents of the village. That's really, that kind of defies the idea of an extended family. Totally. <laughs> But it means a lot of weddings, a lot of uh, parties. Unfortunately, sometimes also a lot of sad stories that uh, you get exposed and engaged in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that you're intimately connected with. It's hard to be intimately connected with 6,500 people, but uh, they feel you feel at home in a lot of homes. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you don't worry where is your kid if, if they're away for... Uh, For a couple of hours, you don't know where they are. You know, yeah. uh, as as a kid, I remember myself uh, when getting hungry. I just look where am I and just go to the next <laughs> house and say I want to eat. <laughs> and, mm. and they offer you food, you know, because they know you're a family member. Mm. But uh, now, you know, being uh, on more of a leadership position in the community as a council member, uh, it means that uh, you don't lock your door also. <laughs> Uh, you have to be open to hear, to listen, to help. You don't get help. a lot of private space. Uh, the term privacy doesn't exist in in that in those conditions. Mm-hmm. But I think you know overall, I appreciate it so much because at, at, up to the stage that when I got married, I used to live in Jerusalem for after my education. And when I got married, my condition to my wife was we raise our kids where I was raised mm-hmm. because it meant so much. I, mm-hmm. You know, the, the warmth, the interdependency, the safety, security, peace of mind. To feel part of, of a collective. Uh, and it's not just a collective over an issue. It's a collective in, in your heart, in your mindset, in your in your being. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, if you go to the... Uh, I go every Friday after the prayer. Uh, I go to uh, visit the uh, graveyard. And when you walk in there, mm. you you feel your extension, you feel your 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 depth. Uh, you know, every every grave you look at has some relationship to you. Mm. Uh, every person that comes to visit, and uh, hundreds usually come at this hour after the Friday prayer to visit the graveyard, uh, it reminds you of your common uh, connection, and mm. uh, you see them. Reading a phrase uh, of, of the uh, of the Quran uh, over someone that maybe has died a hundred years ago, mm. and uh, you go there and you share that prayer with them, uh, it just gives you a different sense of a different dimension of being. I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is your family religious? Is there? A... I would say conservative. Uh, I mean, some are very religious, some are uh, very secular. I think the middle way is is in the conservative uh, side. You know, I think it's more uh, socially religious and less religiously religious. So, by conservative, do you mean traditional? Yes, Uh it's more traditional. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. very traditional. But at the same time, you know, traditional family that uh, lives in a modern society. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, Uh, when I uh, when I had a discussion four years ago with my wife about uh, the need for her to go get a university degree after four children, uh, it was a discussion topic uh, for many people, not just for me and her, mm-hmm. because many people in the family allowed themselves to engage in this discussion. 
what do you mean to send your wife to go to university? She's not 18, 19 years old. She's now a woman with four kids. Her place and responsibilities are beyond an 18, 19 year old, what an 18, 19 year old can allow themselves. So we got a lot of discussion and dialogue about this. And But once she she got in, uh, about 30 others followed her. Mm. 30 married women with children uh, mm. followed her. And it became a phenomenon that a married woman with children can go to university. Mm. Uh, but it, it, somehow uh, the discussion uh, of uh, in that type of society, uh, you engage in an argument, you engage in a discussion, uh, and you think that it only affects yourself. But once you make the leap, once you make the step forward, it's a leap and it's a step forward and it's a window that you open for much more than yourself and your immediate mm. family. Mm. Uh, so it, I think it means that your impact could be much more. If you have certain ideas that you want to bring to this community, uh, you have cap, uh, captive audience from one end. Right. Uh, and I think that I, I, as, despite being a conservative community, uh, we have one of the highest uh, rates uh, of uh, female education in the Middle East now. Really? Uh, oh. More than uh, 60% of our high school students are female. More than uh, 55% of our university students from the village are female. This is as good as America, as good yeah. as Europe, and yeah. in some cases even better than some That's European really countries. Remarkable. You know, I've become very uh, fascinated uh, by this notion, how the notion of identity in this land it, it, it has so many connotations uh, that I think it, it's, it's very hard. I, I realize I didn't understand any of this before, mm-hmm. I was, before I was here. And your identity in particular, I mean, you, you describe yourself, I believe, as an Arab-Israeli. Is that right? Um, How I do you describe myself as a Palestinian citizen of Israel? All right. Well, that's what I expected. I, well, maybe it was other people <laughs> who described you as an Arab-Israeli, because I've learned that that distinction is important. Yes. All right. Yes. So... Um, and and 20% of the population of Israel is mm-hmm. Arab. I don't think that's something that is part of most people's imagination outside. Uh, so I'd love for you to tell the story of how this came to be. And I think I only really started to understand this when I started reading you and reading about you, that these are essentially mandate Palestinians who stayed home, right? So there was the phenomenon that we're very familiar with, Palestinians who left they're called immigrants refugees. by some and refugees by others. And these are Palestinians who stayed and then found themselves inside the border. Is that right? It's, it's a very unique identity. I mean, first of all, not many in the world know about our mere existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, not many even Israelis know about our existence, also, although we are 20% of society. Uh, not many people in the Arab world know about our existence. I'll just give you an example. I was with my family a couple of years ago in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt, a resort right. town in Egypt. And uh, I was arguing with the, the cashier for a discount uh, because we are a family and I was arguing for a discount in Arabic. Uh, but I came with my Israeli car with Israeli license plates. And uh, after we got in, you know, the director of marketing came to me and he said, can I ask you a question? I said, well, yes. He says, I know you're Israeli, but you speak Arabic. How come? You spoke to your kids in Arabic also, not only to us. How come? And I 
start explaining exactly your question. Yeah. The guy has a master's degree in marketing from Cairo University. Uh, and he did not know that in 1948, uh, some of the Palestinian people stayed home. And that some was 20% of the Palestinian population. Uh, and uh, he was stunned. He thought that we are Jews from uh, Arab countries that still have ability to speak some Arabic language. Right. And so the Arab world doesn't know of our existence in many cases, still in many pockets of ignorance. Uh, and many Israelis don't know, let alone the Western world, right. uh, that thinks uh, that uh, Israel is a pure uh, Jewish uh, country that is fighting with the rest of the Arab world. In, in 1948, uh, during the, after the war, uh, after Israel's declaration of independence, uh, 164,000 uh, inhabitants, indigenous Palestinians, stayed home. Uh, most of my village ran to the mountains. They did not uh, go to the uh, cross border. And when things calmed down, uh, they, they went home. Mm -hmm. uh, suddenly this uh, home was under a different sovereignty. It was under the sovereignty of the uh, people that we were fighting the day before. Right. And we had to assume the citizenship of the political entity, the state of Israel, which we were fighting its mere existence. Mm -hmm. uh, and naturally, our immediate relationship with the state was uh, more of a security nature because they saw us as part of the enemy. Yes. We saw them as yesterday's enemy. And it took almost 20 years until, we, uh, until the state lifted the military administration that was imposed on, on, on our own towns. Uh, but we're left now with the dual identity, right. one which I would call it a national, uh, historic, uh, cultural, emotional uh, Palestinian Arab identity, uh, which we are very proud of, uh, which uh, often is, is uh, uh, used against us when we uh, present it in public in Israel. Uh, and it's used against us when we act as a collective in that identity. Right. Uh, but we also have uh, an assumed the Israeli civic, uh, cultural, uh, business, political identity. Uh, and mo those two identities are uh, often in clash. They're often uh, fighting uh, between themselves. And uh, imagine, for example, in 2006, four years ago, Israel was at war with one of the neighboring Arab countries, with Lebanon. Right. And uh, missiles were coming from Lebanon and falling not only in Jewish towns, falling also in Arab towns. All right. Let's just remember, this is, two, what did you say, 2006, yes. right? And so it began, there were some rockets fired across the border, some Israeli soldiers killed, and then there was a ground invasion, right, of Lebanon. Uh, so a couple of Israeli. soldiers were uh, uh, captured, okay. uh, kidnapped. Captured and killed, yes. yes. Okay. So, you and know, you're in the north, your village is in, in the, the north. north, yes. And you get missiles that fall on your villages, and a couple of uh, kids from Nazareth were uh, killed, and about, I think, 15 or 17 Arab citizens were killed by missiles coming from, from the Arab world, yes. coming from our yes. identity. Yes. I mean, that's part of our identity. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like you're being attacked by one of your siblings or by one of your parents mm -hmm. uh, that you don't know to hate him or to, to love him. Uh, at the same time, we were having discussion with the 
Israeli Jewish establishment saying, well, why aren't you protecting us? Right, I remember um, reading or hearing something you did around that time, I believe for the BBC. You talked about also another, I mean, the irony of this, there's so many layers of irony. You're, you're You're under attack from Hezbollah missiles. And then you described how in your town... There were no sirens, that you were dependent on sirens from Israeli towns, and that the Arab towns towns also don't have bomb shelters. Exactly. And that, not only that, I mean, uh, ambulances were refusing to come into Arab towns and villages uh, because, one, either they felt scared that, you know, here's here's an Arab town, so an average Israeli would relate to it as an extension of the enemy, uh, or uh, feeling that they don't really owe the Arab community anything because, you know, the neighboring Arab countries are shooting us, so should we go save Arabs? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to be in this kind of... But you of, are Israeli citizens. And we are Israeli citizens. Mm-hmm. And uh, we come to work together with Israeli Jewish citizens and we, we share the common space. We ride the same buses. Yeah. We go to the same, uh, uh, you know, pool or the same shopping center. And... Uh, and, and then when you go home, uh, you're seen as a different uh, uh, subgroup uh, that its political or cultural identity uh, requires that it pays different uh, price. Uh, I remember in, in October 2000, uh, when we were demonstrating uh, against the political issue, I was asking myself the question, well, yes, our kids are committing the same crimes of throwing stones at passing cars. But this crime is committed almost every Friday afternoon in Jewish towns because they want to close their neighborhoods for Shabbat. They don't want passing cars in Jewish neighborhoods. So they're throwing stones at cars. They throw stones at passing cars. So if you're Jewish, you don't get punished uh, by shooting. If you're an Arab, you get shot by snipers. And then you ask, well, who's shooting at me? It's my country. It's the country, it, I mean, the police officer gets his salary from my taxes. Uh, the the mm. minister of, of uh, police is voted in my, by my votes. And, but they allow themselves different type of, of relationship with, with, with my community. And it's the same story that goes back to 1976 in, in land day demonstrations. I was a little child. Uh, 13 years old, and we went to demonstrations say, don't confiscate our land, and we had Israeli flags in our hands, as Arabs holding Israeli flags in our hands, and again, you get shot and you get six people killed. There. You know, you, you also wrote somewhere about growing up in the 70s and learning in civics classes that, that you were Arab citizens of Israel and that you would someday be a bridge for peace between yes. this country and the Arab world. And I still believe in it. I still believe that the Arab citizens of Israel are going to fill the most important role uh, in uh, Israeli-Arab world relations. Uh, I still think that we will be the bridge, cultural bridge, political bridge, economic bridge, uh, social bridge, uh, you name it. Uh, But someone forgets that, or many people forget that the bridge needs to have foundation on both sides. You know, you cannot be a bridge without having a strong leg on one side of the Mm -hmm. river and another uh, strong foot on the other side of the river. And you're also very much caught. I mean, you are caught between both sides, right? Wasn't it also that in the 70s, um, 
Arafat and the PLO said, seek your future in Israel. Is that was in the 90s, mid-90s. 90s. Yes, mm-hmm. mid-90s. Uh, it basically, 1992, after the, uh, the Oslo negotiations, okay. you know, we, we came to Arafat and we said, well, you're the, you're the president of the Palestinian people. You're negotiating an end of conflict. Mm-hmm. Our status uh, in Israel as second-class citizens is a result of the conflict. So if you're negotiating an end of the conflict, negotiate our status. Uh-huh. And he said, I can't. I'm, I'm dealing with the Palestinian refugees. I'm dealing with the Palestinians under occupation. But what's your problem? You're home. Uh-huh. Seek your destiny in Israel. Uh-huh. And we're seeking our destiny in Israel. We want to stay in Israel. We want to stay home. I'm not going to volunteer becoming a refugee, not for the sake of uh, Palestinian nationalism and not for the sake of Uh, helping Israelis uh, reduce the demographic size of the Arab citizens here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're home. uh, We're in our homeland. Uh, I I think that uh, my uh, biggest challenge is how to help Israel become an act as my country also, not just as my homeland. Mm -hmm. And I think that Israel needs to mature. Uh, And that's what I'm trying to do every day. It's so interesting, that language of maturity and maturing, I've heard from Palestinians and Israelis, that, that there needs to be a human evolution. Absolutely. And a maturing of humanity. Um, and, and I think I hear also people on both sides who see that, um, who see that it's below the radar, um, sure. who see that you know, there's one step forward and two steps back, but that as a large phenomenon. Do you... Do you feel that that's at least the direction? I think we are in two steps forward, one step backwards, but very painful one step backwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that we are overall progressing in the right direction uh, as human beings before the political issues. You mean Palestinians and Israelis? Yes, Palestinians and Israelis. I think that uh, 20 years down the road will be better than where we are today. I think today we are better than we were 20 years ago. Uh, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, uh, I would say as children of both identities, mm. you know, I would say that we have, a par- we have two parents. We have the Israeli right. civic uh, parent and we have the Palestinian national parent. And uh, in, in this case, we are better children from both ends. Yes. You know, uh, yes. But I think that we, we have a vested interest that, uh, that those two parents uh, at least... Uh, draw a clear divorce agreement. Okay. Maybe not renew their marriage, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, or maybe not have a marriage, but at least have clarity over their divorce agreement mm-hmm. uh, so that at least from our own identity, we have some sort of settlement. We can decide as children, okay, on this weekend I'll be with this parent, on that weekend you, I'll you be with that You need them to parent. co-parent to keep the exactly. analogy. We need... And, yeah, and I mean, if you use that analogy, uh, divorce is messy in the beginning, and then hopefully you live into a... And the parents remain vested common interests for both parents. And even perhaps become friends. And hopefully. Yes. But I think that, you know, in this case, uh, when I say we want to be the bridge for peace, mm-hmm. uh, and we can play the bridge for peace. You know, in the past, I used to think about my uh, dual identity as a, a Palestinian and Israeli uh, as a burden, or sometimes even as a handicap. I think of it today more as an asset, mm. as a power, as a skill that only we have. We speak Hebrew, we speak Arabic. We know the history and, and pain of the Jewish people. 
we know the history and pain of the Palestinian people. We empathize with the pain of the Jewish people. We empathize with the pain of the Palestinian people. I want to see the destiny and, and, and the aspirations of the Palestinian people uh, for safety and security and independence be fulfilled. I want to see the same aspirations of the Jewish people fulfilled. And I don't think it is a, a zero-sum game mm -hmm. that one will win and one will lose. I think there is a middle ground in which both nations will go through the stage of self-fulfillment and we, that we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. We're not, neither of those nations, at the stage of self-fulfillment that can allow itself to uh, engage uh, in, in, in the right neighborly or even family relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, ultimately, uh, the two uh, people, the Palestinians and the Israelis, will continue to be interdependent in security, in environment, in right. Uh, right. every issue of, the, mm -hmm. of, of life. We share the same uh, space, the same, the same air, the same, uh, the same even historic narratives. I mean, we disagree yes. on the last 60 years. But okay. we go to Abraham, this organization that I work in, mm -hmm. it's called the Abraham Fund Initiatives. Mm -hmm. It is named after the common father. And you have a reverence, <clears throat> a reverence for Abraham in common. Yes, and we, don't, and we, we say he's, he's our common father, not, not only uh, from a genetic point of view, but from conceptual point of view, from religious, from, from uh, deep understanding of the values uh, that, uh, that came from that uh, individual. We, we subscribe to the notion of uh, the value of human being, the value of family relations, the value of uh, perceptions and of, of, of the big issues of, of humanity and uh, the beginning of the end. And uh, I think that mm. uh, the commonalities there exist in, 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 the, in a deep sense that we have uh, detached ourselves from them uh, and, and dealing with only the day-to-day -day matters of discrimination, killing, beating, this, that. Uh, we're dealing with the surface of the problem and instead of dealing with the essence of our connection. Mm. I mean, it's interesting. I, another thing that I have learned in this week here is it's 60 years. You say it's, it's 60 years that you disagree on, and 60 years is nothing here. <laughs> it's um, yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it's yesterday. So, so let's talk about the Abraham Fund and, and, and how, how do you make that vision of the, not just, as you said, the genetic, but the conceptual importance of this shared narrative. How do you make that real in concrete ways? What do you do here? Well, you need to translate ideas into action. Uh, you know, I think that uh, I, I once uh, worked for an organization that called itself the Institute for Practical Idealism. I like that. <laughs> I've heard I, younger people talk about being pragmatic idealists. I think they will save us, too. <laughs> so, in, in a sense, we are practical idealists. Yeah. It's how do you bring your idealism into a... a, a make it a different reality on the ground. A, I think one of the key problems in Israel is that it does not legitimize... Israeli Jews do not see the existence of Arab citizens as legitimate in Israel. And I think they do not see the normal uh, Arab citizen they see the political Arab citizen. Okay. They see the security Arab citizen. And one of the, our key uh, jobs here is to expose uh, the human nature of Arab citizens, to expose the business nature of Arab citizens, mm -hmm. to expose the municipal nature of Arab citizens, 
Uh, we have a department here that all of its work is what we call public advocacy, is to bring the average Arab citizen to the attention of the Israeli Jewish public. So, so tell me this. I, I had the impression earlier in the week talking with Israelis, uh, Jewish Israelis, that... Um, that they do, they can, uh, many of them see that there's the socioeconomic and civil condition of Palestinians, but that that, it's very hard to have that discussion separate, that it gets tangled up with the political and security issues, and so it stalls. True. Is that, is that? It's a good reading of, of, uh, of the reality uh, and uh, how the average Israeli Jewish citizen uh, thinks. I think that, <clears throat> I think that, uh, most Israeli Jews have not uh, allowed themselves uh, to look beyond uh, the political uh, divisions uh, and, and the political definitions. Uh, I think uh, many of them are stuck uh, at the stage that they think that Israel is only the state of the Jewish people and not the state of its citizens as well. Uh, I do not think there is a contradiction between Israel being the state of the Jewish people and its citizens. In fact, I even start in the reverse. I think a state cannot be in a situation that it's not in the state of its citizens. First, you're the state of your citizens. Then you can be, be also the state of the Jewish people. And I think in a way, they're missing out a big opportunity here. Hmm. I think that the Israeli Jewish public is missing a, the opportunity of having partners that accept the definition of the state of Israel as the state of the Jewish people. But you need me as a partner mm -hmm. to say, I want Israel to be the state of the Jewish people. And, I, and honestly, to myself, first of all, I think that Israel should be also the state of the Jewish people. I think that as Palestine should be the state of the Palestinian people, Israel should be the state of the Jewish people after it fulfills the duty of a state which is being the state of its citizens. Then we can have the concept of serving as a homeland for the Jewish people as a joint goal mm -hmm. for Jewish and Arab citizens together. Uh, that I, I think that uh, in, in a way, and again, going back to my Abrahamic faith, mm -hmm. uh, I do feel responsibility for the destiny of the and, and well-being of the Jewish people. And, and again, I think so... The issue for you is you say that from a very different perspective. So, um, but you become conflated with, I don't know, a representative of Hamas in, in Gaza, right? I mean, there's. I'm, and I'm happy to have a different uh, perspective and, and mindset. You know, yes, I'm a part of the minority in Israel, but I think I have the mindset of a majority in the region. In the, and region. I, in and the region. By that, what do you mean? I mean that we have, you know, when you're a majority, it means you have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. But As what a, is the region for you when you say the region? The Middle do you East. Mean, really? The Middle East, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, although I'm, I'm not organizationally structured in any formal relationship with the people in the Middle East, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, I have the mindset of a majority, uh, of part of the majority. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, to my Israeli Jewish uh, colleagues, I always say, uh, yeah, in Israel, they are the majority, but they have the mindset of a minority. They're, they're closing the country to Jews only instead of acting with the responsibility of a majority, which means you open yourself and you allow space for the minority, which in a way 
is also a responsibility for me as a member of the collective regional majority. Mm-hmm. I need to create space for the Jewish people to also be amongst us. So, I, And that goes back to the problem of identities because mm-hmm. at one stage I'm a minority fighting for rights and integration right. in the Jewish majority. At the other end, I'm part of the regional majority that right. needs has a responsibility to create space for the Jewish minority in the region. Yes. And, and, and I think that if we if we find the right formula of integration of the arab citizens in israel it is the exact formula for integration of the jewish people in the middle east do you um i hadn't planned on asking you about this i might have asked other people about what's been happening in egypt and tunisia you know in the larger arab world um do you feel that this i mean it's very you know there's a long road ahead to see how this unfolds but could this be um a moment where, as you say, that majority mindset that could create a, a more hospitable environment for Israelis to experience. Could, could, could that be one of the manifestations that comes out of this democratic energy? It could be. I think it, what's happening is, is good news. Uh, the fact that uh, there's more public engagement and there's more, um, there are many more minds making the decisions and not just one individual that decides based on what side of the bed he walk on, but uh, really uh, to have a collective mindset of a community that does see uh, an interest for, for, for the Arab world in, in resolving the conflict. There mm-hmm. is an interest for the people of the Arab world to resolve the conflict and not to keep the conflict uh, running for, for years. People want to go over mm-hmm. the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and want to have a proper solution that allows it to deal with uh, issues of human values and prosperity and economic development and and, and uh, intellectual growth and uh, and so on, uh, but I think that uh, we started playing a, a serious role in in the public discourse in the Arab world uh, for in the past I would say seven years uh, since many of the uh, Arab TV stations started uh, uh, covering Israel properly and not just covering it from a, a, a I would say a traditional a demagogic style mm-hmm. but covering it with an investigative style I don't think that's a story that's been told in the outside that no, there's I been a change in that told. journalism yeah mm-hmm. I, th- I think a significant change and uh, the key players in that change are Arab Israeli citizens mm. we are the ones that are being interviewed about what is Israel really mm-hmm. you know the the Arab world knew one Israel uh, in the past, and we know many Israels. We know the Israel of the left, we know the Israel of the right, we know the Israel of the Haredim, we know the Israel of the religious, of the non-religious, of the business people, of the high-tech people, of the academics, of the culture. Of the We, we know different faces of Israel mm-hmm. that uh, we can express it in Arabic. And more and more people in the Arab world, through the uh, satellite TV stations, uh, are seeing Israel through our eyes mm. uh, and reading it and hearing it from our own mouths, mm-hmm. uh, which makes it a more tangible Israel, a more realistic and less conceptual Israel. And the more, uh, I think we're already playing that role of bridging, uh, at least on the level of, of, of the distance of, of ignorance of the Arab world about Israel. Uh, and I think we can play it on the opposite direction, bringing the Arab world right. to the Israeli uh, Jewish public. It doesn't mean that it's it's very uh, easy and it's not uh, moving in, in the right speed. I think yeah. we move; it's moving in a very slow speed. But the events in the last uh, few months, I think, can 
make things much, much uh, go, go a little bit faster. It's clear to me also that as much as you're working, um, I, I meant to say this is part of your story, that your, what was it, your uncle was the first uh, Arab member of the Knesset? Is no, that, he was the first, uh, he formed the first the Arab first, parties. Okay. The and did he serve Arab in the Israeli Knesset? He served in the Israeli Knesset. Yeah, he was he, elected uh, four times. Four times, yeah. yes. I mean, that's another story of Israel that people don't realize. Yeah. Today, there are 12 Arab members of the Knesset. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are 10% of the members of parliament. Yes, we're 20% of the population, so there is a little bit of uh, under-representation. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it is our fault, some of it is systematic fault. Uh, but that's a tool that we haven't even uh, uh, used properly yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly... Uh, because many people ask themselves and people ask me all the time, why don't you go to parliament? Why don't you run to parliament? And I say, you know, it's not time yet. Hmm. Uh, I want to go to parliament only when I can have a constructive engagement with Israeli Jewish members of parliament. Today, uh, most Arab members of the Knesset are uh, the magnet for the anger of the Israeli Jewish public. And I don't want to play that game. Hmm. Uh, I think that... uh, it's easy today to blame uh, the Arab members of the Knesset for every trouble that Israel has around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead of being there, I would like, I prefer to be in, in a, a different constructive format. I would go to parliament when I see that there is majority Israelis ready to make the significant leap forward in changing Jewish-Arab relations. Have the Arab members of the Knesset also brought some of that on themselves, I mean, it, 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 does that? Do their roles need to grow also for that I think to that, not be such a magnet? I don't know. Yeah, I think we we need the revolution in mindset also. Mm-hmm. What do we mean when we send representatives to parliament? Are we just a, a voice of opposition, uh, which is a job that we do very well, or are we a voice of integration and engagement? And uh, and we went through this uh, dialogue more significantly during in the, in the early 90s, during the Rabin government, when there was someone to tango with. Mm. Uh, Rabin was ready to dance tango with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked in the parliament at that time as a coordinator of one of the political parties, our political parties, and we did have a very good working relationship. But since uh, he was assassinated in 1995, I haven't seen a significant Israeli Jewish leader that is ready to dance this game of coexistence and of uh, integration. And that's why I think, for me, it's not time to be in, mm-hmm. in that arena. It's, 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 a, it's interesting for me, too, that you, you, you work with the Israeli, with, inside this political structure, and um, you, you, the Israeli government, I think you said, is your partner, must Absolutely. be your partner, Absolutely. is your legitimate partner. You also... Um, so when it comes to the socioeconomic inequality of Arabs uh, or Palestinian citizens mm-hmm. of, of Israel, um, you've also identified, or I don't know if you, people have it, it there, there are clearly things that need, must be taken up with the Israeli government. There's also, um, and I think I found this in, in researching you, that uh, it's very clear that also because so many women don't work that there's mm-hmm. less economic power. And sure. you're taking that on, as you said, starting with your own wife and, and in your community. You know, I, I believe that uh, your actions should speak your words and not your words should uh, be the things that guide you, but your actions should be the ones, the thing that guide you. 
When you look at the economic uh, gap between Jewish and Arab citizens in Israel, you identify a number of problems. One of them is lack of government budget, and with that we produce study books and papers and, gov and policy papers, and we have a good research department that challenges the government. We just challenged it in, in about, uh, with the issues of the percentage of Arabs in uh, medical uh, uh, jobs. Uh, and we presented it at the Herzliya conference where uh, every bright and significant uh, and decision maker is present there. But on the other hand, we go and experiment on solutions and we show them that it is a solvable problem. Uh, we identified that in employment, there are three key problems in the Arab community. One is the lack of proper integration of Arab university graduates. Mm. And for that, we created a, a sub-organization uh, or a sister organization called Kav Mashve, which basically takes Arab university graduates and places them in the finance and in the insurance and in the high-tech businesses. We manage to integrate about 150 uh, students every year. I'm sorry, 150 uh, jobs, 150 people every year. Then we realize that the problem of lack of a second income in an Arab household hmm. is the key contributing factor for the high poverty rate in the Arab community. 56% of Arab citizens are below poverty rate. Right. And you see direct link uh, with the women uh, unemployment rate. Uh, only 20% of Arab women work in comparison to 60% of Jewish women. And the Minister of Finance comes and says, well, this is a matter of mentality. And I'm trying to prove to him that there is a pill against mentality, you know, <laughs> right. uh, that this is a solvable problem. And we engaged in a program. We went to the, what is called the chronically unemployed women, women that do not have a university degree, never worked, and have children, married with children, uh -huh. or uh, single parents, which he thinks, the Minister of Education thinks, this is the problem. With those, you cannot get any result. And we proved to him that uh, with a little bit of training, computer skills, Hebrew language skills, mm -hmm. how to get interviewed, how to dress for an interview, how to search for a job, uh, help a little bit with transportation. Uh, we train about 150 women every year, and we get a success rate of 73% that become employed. Mm -hmm. They turn from chronically unemployed into a second income in a household. They lift their families above the poverty line. And that's it, it's a model that that my target audience is not the women. My target audience is the government. It's the Minister mm -hmm. of Finance. It's the Minister of, uh, of Industry and Employment. They need to realize that this is a solvable problem and they cannot hide behind statements, empty, hollow statements of, of uh, describing the Arab community as a problem that is not solvable. Well, I mean, as you say, to call it a mindset, I mean, you also described the cultural conversation that had to take place, also Absolutely. between husbands and wives Absolutely. and within a community, and that somebody had to break the boundaries and then, and then, and then other people follow. So, I mean, you're also saying even if it is a mindset, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's something that dialogue can address. Dialogue and, and where and change can happen. It, it can happen. I don't think that uh, uh, I don't think that identifying the problem is is enough. I think you need to identify the problem and you need to adapt the proper solution. Now there is another problem that we are just finishing research on, which is the early exit uh, stage of Arab men from the job market. Uh, what in does average, that mean? in mm -hmm. average, Arab men 
exit the job market at age of 47, 48. Mm. Uh, Jewish men exit the job market as, at uh, average at 59. I'm sorry, not average. It starts, they start the exit stage. That's when they, they drop the pers- right. uh, out of their job so market. So what is that about? What it's about? mainly because of the type of jobs that the uh, Arab citizens work in, mostly the jobs that require a lot of physical abilities, maybe construction uh, uh, and all kinds of other jobs that require uh, abilities, physical so abilities. So they just become worn down, worn They out. become worn down. Mm-hmm. And instead of, because they are not properly trained before, uh, they're not trained for a second job. And mm-hmm. we identified this now. In fact, it's a research we did together with the Bank of Israel. Mm-hmm. And the results were stunning, you know, because mm-hmm. the Bank of Israel wants to see Israel's economy prosper. And we come to them and say, okay, let's engage in a project that helps Israel mm-hmm. move forward. Israel wants to see 10 additional years of Arab men working. Israel wants to see Arab women become taxpayers and not just social cases. I want to see Arab families be taxpayers and not social cases. It's my interest. In this case, it's a shared interest. And I think that in a way, economy and economic integration is the easy way for, uh, for Jewish Arab relations now. Because of that, it's good for everyone's pocket. Mm-hmm. It means that you become a better consumer. And it's it's money that is spent in internally, so it recycles more. I mean, if an Arab woman gets a salary, she will spend it in the nearby Jewish supermarket. She'll buy from the uh, clothes uh, producer in, in Tel Aviv. And uh, it means that you allow the economy to grow from within and not... Uh, you don't bring foreign workers that take the money and send it back home to Thailand or send it to, to Romania or, or some uh, distant location. Uh, we, can, uh, we, we can help Israel. Uh, I think Israel needs us for its economic growth. It needs us for its moral growth to prove that it's a true democracy. Uh, it can only prove it's a true, it, it is a true democracy through its relationship with us. It's not enough to have democracy for Jews only. Mm-hmm. If democracy is for Jews only that's, and not for the rest of the citizens, that's not democracy. That's fake democracy. They need us to prove they're truly democracy. Israel needs us uh, for, it needs good relationship with us for safer streets. Yes. And it needs us diplomatically, for mainly for the Arab world. Mm-hmm. A satisfied Arab citizen is the best ambassador of Israel to the Arab world. It basically can testify that Jews came to the Middle East to live in peace with us and not to control and oppress Arabs. Who can be a better example than an Arab citizen that can vow for that? But to, to be able to tell the good story, you need mm-hmm. to have the real story. We need to have it real on the ground right. so that we can tell it to the rest of the world. Um. You know, it's very energizing to talk to you and to, um, it, uh, so when I came into this, I, I think about, you know, one of, again, one of the peculiarities, we kind of named this, of your identity as a Palestinian citizen of Israel is uh, you share the, the pain of both sides, right? You 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 or you participate in the pain of both sides. At least these last sixty years. <laughs> At least I carry the burden of both sides. <laughs> you do, but I there's also um, I, I think as much as anybody I've spoken with, there's an incredible energy. I mean, you are walking into the future with um, very engaged, and it's it's very hopeful to talk to you. I mean, 
Is hope a word you would, hopeful a word you would use to describe yourself? And I think about this every day, you know, because you get, uh, you get challenges to you and, and, and to you, I get challenges to my path every time I hear the news. And you hear the news 10 times a day in Israel. And then I think about, you know, what's my role? You know, what's, what's my job into this? Uh, I used to think of myself as, uh, as an optimist. Uh, at some stage, I started thinking of myself as a pessimist. Mm-hmm. I'm really scared of where we're going because sometimes you feel you're in a crash course. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's really my optimism that drives me, but sometimes I find it's my pessimism that if I do not engage, then it's a crash course. Uh, but I think that what mes- made me in the last uh, 16 years uh, a believer in, 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 in ho- and a person of hope uh, is my commitment to my children, as being a parent. And I think that the reason I come to work every day is because I want to be a good parent. Mm-hmm. I want to be able that uh, my, ki- my children will have a better reality than what I have, and a significantly better reality. Because I think that if you do not put your full attention and make your maximum effort now, uh, the chances of, of a crash course, uh, the chances of derailing uh, Jewish-Arab relations is, is very dangerous. Uh, I have, uh, my wife has three sisters that they live in the United States. And very often they say, you know, come live here, you know, things are easy. And sometimes you contemplate this idea, but then you say, well, who do I leave behind? You know, I can find a solution for my wife, myself, and my four children. Mm. What about my parents? What about my 6,500 relatives? Exactly. You know, <laughs> who do I leave them for? Mm-hmm. What about the rest of my 1.3 million Arab citizens in Israel? Who, are, who do I leave them for? You, it's, it's like abandoning ship, and I do not want to abandon ship. I think that... In, in my little uh, effort, I can help maybe steer it in the right direction. Uh, maybe, I, you know, when you row a boat, I'm, I'm just one person on a long boat that has many people that row that boat. But in, in, in my little effort, I can try to at least steer it in the right direction. Uh, I think that uh, there hasn't been a talk, uh, there hasn't been the right level of talking between Jews and Arabs in Israel. And I think the right level has to go beyond the stage of blaming to some stage of building together, to some stage of empathy, to some stage of legitimacy and acceptance. Uh, and once we realize that everyone is here to stay, Arabs are here to stay, Jews are here to stay, no one is doing anyone a favor by allowing, sort of speak, the other to stay. Mm-hmm. Everyone is here to stay because they deserve it, because this is home for them. This is my homeland. No one can say to me, it's not my homeland. This is the homeland of the Jewish people. No one can say to them, this is not their homeland. Uh, We need to learn how to do it together. We're doing a lousy job now as a collective. And I think that if you have a little bit of of, uh, of foresight, if you can see uh, 500 years back in history, and you can see five years down in the future, uh, you can see that it's, there are things that can be done. There are solutions that can be applied. Uh, they're difficult. I'm, I'm, I'm very much 
realist and I know the difficulties. Uh, I, I just before I met with you, I was meeting with people from the Israeli military, mm. uh, talking about yes, with mm-hmm. IDF, talking to them about uh, the services that they fail in providing to the Arab community at times of war. Security services. Security mm-hmm. services. Uh, and I, I, I was having a very serious discussion with them. And uh, you talk to the establishment, which very often is seen as the problem. Uh, I allow myself to talk to almost everyone. I have never said no to any audience, knowing that most of audiences I speak to are very often hostile. Uh, they don't want to hear you. They don't think of you as a human being. I, sp- I spoke to audiences that said to me once I had my son with me and uh, I was speaking to a group of police officers. Police officers in Israel? In Jewish Israel, Israel, yes. Mm-hmm. And I, my, my son, who was at the time uh, six years old, he said, can I come? I said, sure. And the police officer, one of the officers said to me, can we ask you to take your son out of the room? I said, why? And he said to me, you're trying to force us to look at you as a human being. Mm. Uh, as a parent, and uh, that's manipulation. And you know, you're dealing, you're talking, you talk to someone that basically refuses the concept that 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 once allows he doesn't want to allow himself to see you as a parent, to see you as a human being. And uh, I think that uh, in a way uh, we have to humanize the issue as much as we can. The more we can give. A face to an Arab citizen, the more right. we can and give a face to And on both sides, I mean, that's citizen. also part of that trauma, that those layers of trauma that have built up over these years. Of I, f- I find one thing, I hear about a grievance, and then behind every grievance is another grievance, and this, en- this endless cycle. And they're not all equal, right? But You know, we're, 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 we compete, Jews and Arabs continue to compete. Who's, who's more victim than the other? Mm. It's, by the way, it's a story since Abraham. <laughs> Who did Abraham wanted to sacrifice? Right, Ishmael or Isaac? <laughs> Ishmael or Isaac? <laughs> right. And today we're competing. Who's more the victim of history? Is it mm-hmm. the Jews with what they go, went through mm-hmm. in in uh, in Germany, mm-hmm. or is it the Palestinians and what they went through here? Mm-hmm. Naturally, you cannot compare pain and you cannot right. compare victimhood. But it it it, 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 it imprints itself on it everyone. You know, and so when I the story you tell about meeting with the IDF soldiers, you're, you're telling a story very difficult. Just painful discussions, or this story you just told. But on the other hand, for me, <clears throat> there, it's a very, it's a hopeful vision. It's an inspiring vision that that these conversations are taking place. They have to take place. They have to take place. And that place. they, in fact, are civil conversations. Maybe painful, and maybe all the behavior is not good. But they, they, they suggest that that it's possible. I was speaking to a colleague after I went out of this meeting with this police officer and he said to me, how do you feel? I said, I said, I have a stomachache. I have a headache. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult for me to go there, but I'm looking for the next invitation to go. You know, it, so this dialogue is not easy. It, it is, it is, sometimes it, it turns you upside down and it, uh, it humiliates you. It, uh, it challenges many things that you that you think should not be challenged in, in your identity, in your, in your humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, this road shouldn't be an easy road, and you shouldn't just pick the uh, the, the nice aesthetic uh, uh, arenas. I think that if you want to change reality, you need to engage in your reality. You need to get your hands dirty. 
Uh, and then you worry about washing them and get them clean. Mm. But you need to get them dirty in the right action, working in the right direction. Some people ask me, well, how do you allow yourself to go and talk to the prime minister's office or talk to this? I talk to everyone because it's him I want to change. Mm. It's him. I, it's not enough. It's easy to sit and, and write an intellectual uh, article uh, and print it in Arabic. I want to say it in Hebrew and talk to the person that can decide in the Jewish community. Mm. I want also to say it in Arabic and talk to the people in the Arab community. That's my share. But my, I think that we need to use the skill and ability of being able to talk to the Jewish public. And this is how you can try to find the common ground. Mm. I think that's your last word. This has really been wonderful. And I'm so glad that we spoke with you because this is such an important piece of this very complicated story. Yeah, thank you. It's complicated, but it's solvable. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you. Are we okay with tape? Okay, Mm -hmm. I was afraid we're running out of videotape. Well, we sit in a good place here. It's uh, Channel 2 headquarters, so they have lots of tapes. It's true. (laughs) That's the easy part. Yeah. So glad to know that you're here, that you're doing what you're doing. It's really... We'll keep at it. Yeah, yeah. Good. So you're, where are you going next? We're actually leaving tonight. So this is it. This is my last interview here. So yeah, where are you having lunch? I can suggest a couple of places oh, for well, you. Oh, well, Fuad was going to take us someplace. So he I'm probably will take you to Abu Gosh, you know. He's yeah, he's <laughs> taking us to Abu Gosh. He is. <laughs> <laughs> first day. Yeah, probably last day as well. The first, the first day we, 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 it, we got off the plane and we had this transcendent hummus. And I said, I want to go back. I've never eaten anything so delicious in my life. Uh, so right across the street, there's a diner, an American diner. Oh, really? Yes, it called, yeah, it's, it's called Elvis Diner. Oh, oh, you told us about that. So yes, that's yeah. a way. But there's also a nice uh, uh, dining uh, room here where mm-hmm. all the Israeli TV stars eat. Oh, wow. So you can go to the dining room here also <laughs> if you want. Uh, that's another yeah, option. I think we're trying to go to Ramallah. Yeah, we're gonna, we want to go to Ramallah. We haven't been to Ramallah. We've been go. to um, Bethlehem and Hebron. We were yesterday with the, in the Ida camp in Bethlehem. Huh. So we've... Um, there's so much we haven't done, but I think I think we did a pretty good job for a week. Fantastic. Yeah, Fantastic. And, uh, Jerusalem East. I soon interviewed Sari Nuseba in his office. He's a good man. At Al Quds, yeah. he's a good man. Yeah. yeah. So is this going to be a series of uh, yes. programs? Yes. Yes. So this is an hour-long show, and it's generally a conversation like this. Mm-hmm. So this will be a show. We we're not sure exactly how we're going to if we're going to put them on the air all at once or maybe spread it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, this conversation you and I had was pretty timeless. It, you know, whatever happens in the next three months or something, it won't change. So we might we might put this on a little later. I had an interview yesterday with a, a biblical scholar, Viva Zornberg, oh. on a Genesis story and <laughs> and flood story. And, you know, that we might put on a little later because it doesn't. But we've, I've had some conversations that, that are more about... Uh, you know, things that are happening right now in the world, and we might put those on first, but we'll yeah, let you know. Have some relevancy, yeah. Yeah, we'll let you know, um, and we'll send you a CD and send the links Fantastic. and all that. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah, well, you. welcome. Yeah. And uh, next time, allow me also to uh, treat you, host you. Oh. Happy to host you in my home, also in my, yeah. my family. Yeah. More than online. Yeah. And if you come to Minnesota again. You have talked to what? Okay, I'm coming to the States <laughs> next week, in fact, but uh, not to Minnesota. I'm going to be in Philadelphia and New York only. Yeah. Um, just for like three days. So. Yeah. Good, Thank good meeting you. you. Yeah.
Pleasure. Pleasure to meet you. Just asking this only yesterday, so before you go. Yeah.